This morning's message is entitled, as you can see from your bulletin, Our Relationship to the World. Jesus Christ is returning to his Father in heaven. We know this. We've been in this for quite a while. And as such, in leaving his apostles, he is going to leave his apostles, his disciples, and by extension down to the 21st century, to you and I today as believers. He is going to carry on his ministry through us by his choice. He has chosen to use believers as vessels for his use in order to communicate the gospel, yes, but in order to live as a light in the world and to be a testimony for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet his disciples had the very same questions that you and I would have. How do we do this? How do, can we do this in a practical way? You're going back to your father, fine, you're preparing a place, but you're going to leave us here. What do we do until we get to that place that we're with you? And how do we do it in our everyday living? So to try to teach that, as we've noticed and have been here quite a long time, the Lord Jesus Christ has been using the metaphor of the vine and the branches to illustrate and to teach. And actually, as I, you might have forgotten this, but as I personally look at chapter 15, I believe it goes all the way through verse 25 with that concept still relating back to the vine and the branches. And in his teaching, he's really concentrated, as far as I can tell, into three areas, three relationships. In trying to answer that question that would be on their mind, he deals with three specific relationships that they are to deal with and to know how to deal with in a practical way. We've covered the first two. We finished the last one, the second one last week. And the relationships are, first of all, to Christ, which is the most important. How were they to relate while here and Christ is in heaven to the Lord Jesus Christ? And it boiled down to very, uh, really boiled down to two things. One is to abide. Abide in him. That is to remain, to stay close to, and all of those other things that we looked at. To abide in Christ. That's our relationship. Every single day as we walk through this world that God has left us here, we had to continue to abide in him, to remain in him, and to bear fruit was the second aspect. And we will not produce the fruit. That's where we go wrong. We, we've looked at that, how Christians try to do things in their own strength. You cannot do that. He will produce the fruit as long as we remain in him and abide in him. So our relationship to Christ while he's there in heaven is to continue to abide in him. And we have learned that by his word abiding in us, we will abide in him. So we need to have the word of God in us. The second relationship that is so important after we determine how do we live practically in relationship to him, how about with other believers? And we've spent almost a month, I think it was actually five messages, on the relationship of the believers one with another. How are we to relate to one another? And that boiled down to a simple statement. We ought to love one another, but we don't stop there, as Christ has loved us. So in this passage, he teaches them, and again, we saw that we will bear fruit if we love one another as Christ has loved us. And that is a practical challenge to us. We try to deal with that as to how we ought to relate in very practical ways to one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the third one is the one we come to today. And that is, how are we to relate then to the world? We need to know our relationship to Christ. We need to know our relationship with one another. What about the world? He still left us here. 
how will we relate to the world? Or we might want to ask the question, how will the world relate to us? Because it's interesting that that's the perspective that he takes it from in our text. So what are we to expect as he deals with that? Well, right away in 18, verse 18, the first part of the verse, let me just read that, if the world hates you. Let me go into something that I know you've been taught, but maybe some are still not familiar with it, and I do think we need to realize what we're talking about so we're on the same plane to begin with. What about this term, the world? What does that mean? And I want you to realize, and again, I think this gets abused by fundamentalists. I think it gets abused by uh, evangelicals and uh, certainly to defend whatever doctrines they might have and so forth. But we need to understand that the word world is used in Scripture many different ways. And we need to understand in this context what he's talking about as well. First of all, it's used in a universal sense in the universal creation. In Psalm 90, verse 2, for example, it says, Before the mountains were, or before the Lord formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. And throughout scripture, he uses the sense of the word world in relationship to the entire universe, all of God's creation. He also uses it in scripture in relationship to this planet that you and I are living on. In Psalm 24, verse 1, for example, it says, The earth is the Lord's, the world and all that dwell in it. So he's referring to the inhabitants, and he's referring to this planet that you and I are on in many other contexts. He uses it also in relationship to people. In John chapter 3, verse 16, often quoted by different camps and different ways to defend their own doctrines, the simplicity of John 3.16 is evidence. He uses the world to talk about people because he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, that is people, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And for those of you that have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, again, I repeat to you, that is the only basis of salvation that we find. That is the only place that you can look. That's what this table represented. That's what all these songs represented today. This was the Lamb of God who the, the Father sent into the world so that through belief in him, you could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's referring to people when it uses the word world. Also, we find it used another way. And this is the most common way that you'll hear from pastors and teachers that it's used, but it's not the only other one. We've got to deal with two more. One is the thinking or the philosophy or the values, basically, of the unbelievers or the people of this world that are controlled by Satan. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Listen, it says, God made foolish the wisdom of this world. He's talking about the thinking. He's talking about the philosophy. He's talking about the values there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 3. Children held in bondage by the elemental are the teachings of the world. He uses it there, the word world, in, in the concept of the thinking, the values. And we need to understand that. But the fifth one, and I believe this is the one in our context, that he uses the word world in scripture is to deal, listen, with the people who represent the philosophy 
of the world, or the philosophy of ungodliness, or the philosophy of Satan. In other words, we use the term unsaved. We use the term those who are in darkness, those who are unbelievers. And sometimes the world is used in the concept of the people that are representing the philosophy that we just talked about, which is another way. How do you determine that, Pastor Dan? That's why we're told to be students of the word, to study the word, to rightly divide the word. Why? You look at the context. And so when he says here, if the world hates you, and I'll deal with the, the word if in just a second, and he's talking about the world, what is he talking about? The planet, the universe? Is he just talking about the philosophy? He's talking about the people. It is the people that will hate you. Which people? That carry the philosophy of the unsaved. That have the thinking of the world. And it's encompassing that. It is the people who represent the philosophy of Satan. The philosophy of ungodliness. It is those people. We have some concept of that in the immediate context, by the way. If you jump to chapter 16, verses 8 through 10, and we're going to get into the Holy Spirit after this, beginning in verse 26. But if you look at chapter 16, verses 8 to 10, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they, that's people, do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to my Father and you no longer see me, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And it's dealing with that, the ruler of the world, it's dealing with the philosophy of the world, but the people that are in it. And just before that, one other verse, chapter 14, if you go back there, which is in the context since we've been dealing with him leaving in chapter 14, verse 1, if you go to chapter 14, verse 30, he says, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of this world, that is Satan, and all of his thinking and so forth, is coming and he has nothing in me. And so he's been using the world in the immediate and also the surrounding context to deal with the Satan and his rule over people and his rule over ungodliness and all of their thinking. So he's dealing with people here in this context. And it's rather interesting to me that as we continue in John chapter 15, in the first two relationships, he dealt with it as to how we are to relate to Christ, how we are to relate to one another. But now he turns it and he shows how the world will react to us. And he wants his disciples to be aware of that, how they will act toward the believer. Who is that? The unsaved, the theology, the, if you want to, it's really not theology. It actually comes from anthropology. It's man's thinking. Uh, but the thinking of the world as related through people, why, how will they react? It's pretty clear. Verse 18, if the world, what, hates you. There it is. First of all, let me clear up the if. It's interesting, right in verses 18 and 19, there are different ways of pre presenting conditional clauses, and I'm not here to give you a big lesson in that, but I will tell you this. The first conditional clause that's given here is assumed that it is so. Since the world will hate you, it could be translated, or you know that the world will hate you. The second one in verse 19 is looking for just the reverse. It says, if you were of the world, it's a different type of condition. In other words, you're not. It's expecting an, a no answer. So we understand that since the world will hate us, why? Because we're not of the world. That's what he's saying. The world is going to hate us. 
What is that? They're going to detest you. They are going to maliciously, this is what the word means, maliciously have feelings toward you of absolute hatred. And you might say, why? Well, we'll get to that in a second. Because he tells you why, by the way, before you let that go through all of your thinking. But I want you to see that. We are to understand that if we are abiding in Christ, if we are loving one another, the world's not going to love you. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate you. We ought not to be surprised by that. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. You think you might be surprised, right? Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Isn't it amazing that Peter had to say this? And I'm pointing it out because I don't want you to be surprised. I should not be surprised. You should not be surprised with this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verses, well, verse 12 anyway. Beloved, do not be surprised. What? At the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you <clears throat> for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you, right? But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. And we're going to see that connection back in our, our context. Keep on rejoicing. See, he says, don't be surprised by the testing. Don't be surprised by the trials. Why were those trials coming about? They were facing persecution because the world hated them. Why? Because it hated Christ, as we'll see in a moment. So, fellow believer, don't be surprised. Now, we're not to go out and try to be hated by the world. But if you are living a godly life, you will suffer persecution. If you are abiding in Christ and if you are loving the brethren, you will be hated. Why are you surprised? Now that may seem, again, fundamental to you. But so often we observe Christianity. I observe my own life, and you can probably, if you're honest with yourself, observe your own life and realize you try to avoid being hated by the world. Nobody wants to be hated. Nobody wants to be disliked, and I find it actually appalling when it's in my own life and appalling to see it in Christians' life. They do everything they can to make the world want to like them, and they think they're living for Christ. That's contrary to what the Word of God teaches. In fact, we'll eventually see, because I know I won't get to it with the communion service and everything today, it says if you love the world, you're an enemy of Christ. If that's what you're seeking after, if you're looking for the applause of the world or to have everybody be happy with you so everything is fine, you're not living the way Christ lived. Because when Christ lived the way he wanted him to live for the Father, he was hated. The only ones that didn't hate him were the ones that belonged to him because he had called them out, as we'll see in a minute. It's amazing. Why do we avoid that? It seems to me that oftentimes Christians are more afraid about being offended by the world than they are about what they might do to offend God. Think about that one in your own life. Are you more afraid that your neighbor, that your family, that your boss, that your quote-unquote friends are not going to like you? than you are about walking with God? Are you trying to please the way they look? The Lord Jesus Christ says, since the world hates you, they hate you. The world will hate you. Why? 
It hates everything about Christianity and everything that we stand for. It hates God. You say, no, there's people who talk about God. Wait till we're done with this text, and it won't be just today. This world hates God. This world hates accountability to God. This world hates morality. This world hates truth. We are living in a day and age in which truth is only what's relevant. Now, I don't know whether I've said it to this audience because I've said it to a few different people. Wikipedia is an example. Many people are consulting that. Do you know that that is based upon relative importance? You can change the meaning of a word. You can go into Wikipedia, join it, and if you don't like the definition, go in and change it. It's based upon collective knowledge. It's not based upon truth, folks. That's the day and age we're living in. Check it out. People are not concerned about truth, and the world doesn't want to hear truth. It wants to hear what's generally accepted to everybody, and if you stand out for truth, you will be hated. If you want to stand for the things of God, it's seen everywhere, by the way. Young people, listen up. Young people, be encouraged if your friends of the world don't like you because you're living for Christ. If other people hate you, praise the Lord if it's because of your testimony. I believe even within Christian circles, we're giving more favor to those who want to live for the world than those who are trying to make the stand for Christ. And even young Christians are getting persecuted by other quote-unquote believing young people. And I believe it's also true among adults. We need to be careful. We see it among adults. We see it with neighbors. You stand for what is truth, and they will hate you. You want to stand out and talk about anything? Uh, I had it recently that happened to me. Somebody was talking to me about something. I've shared it with a number of you people. I told them what I thought about the situation, and uh, they ignored it. Why? They, wouldn't, they didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear something else so that they could laugh at Christianity. I'll tell you what it had to do with. It had to do with that prediction about when the world was coming to an end. The newspaper called me up. They were expecting me to say, oh, yeah, I'm all concerned. I said, I'm not concerned at all. I'm going to preach on Sunday. I don't know what he's going to do. That's what I said. And then I went through scripturally uh, some things with the end times, and they were typing away like crazy and wanted to come in and take my picture and all of that, and they didn't publish anything. Why? They didn't like what I said. And I said, he said, well, aren't you scared? She said, aren't you scared? And don't you think Christians are afraid? And I said, not if they know the word of God. And I turned around and I, I said boldly, I said, when Jesus Christ can say that my father is the only one that knows and I don't know, I think it's beyond anybody to try to predict, regardless of what formula code or whatever they're coming up with. When you do that type of thing, the world does not like you. Now, let's get into the specifics here, at least begin it today. So what, do I, what should you expect if you truly belong to Christ? The world is going to hate you. Why? He gives you three reasons. We'll start with the first one today. Let me tell you what they are in verses 18 all the way through 
particularly verse 21. Here they are. Number one, because believers are chosen out of the world and we're not of the world. Got that one? Because believers are chosen out of the world and we are not of the world. Secondly, they will hate you because they hated Jesus Christ and everything that he represents. That's what the context says. They hated him, they will hate you. Thirdly, they do not know the Father. That's what the text says. They will hate you because they don't know him. Now, they will claim to know God. We won't get to that one this morning. They will claim and say, I believe in God, but they don't know him. So they hate the world. They hate you because you're chosen. They hate you because they hated Jesus Christ. They hate you because they hate God, and they don't know him. They want to make God in their image rather than understand who he is. So let's look at it. Let's look at the first one. Why will the world hate us? He tells you right away in the second part of verse 18 and verse 19, I will read it, then I'll give it to you, and we'll talk about it. If the world hates you, or since the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Here it is. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, that's what he says, because of this, it's pretty self-explanatory. The world hates you. The people of the world now, what that represents and all that thinking will hate you. Why? You've been chosen out of the world, and you are not of the world. Now listen, at one time, we were of the world. Remember the response of reading? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's what it says. But such were some of you. When we look at that list, and by the way, the people of this world do not want that list published. I'm going to read it just on purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, they don't want to hear this. Listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What do you mean? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkens, revealing, swindlers. You go out and give that message and watch how many love you. But listen, folks, there's good news, obviously. He says, such were some of you, verse 11, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Who did that? Jesus Christ. According to Ephesians chapter 2, you turn there on your own, verses 1 to 6, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he made you alive. Who did that? Christ did that. That's what a believer is. That's what a Christian is. One who was living in the world, living by the standards of the world, living for the world, and God called us out of it and saved us. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is nothing new. Back in John chapter 15, look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Remember that? Election cannot be avoided, folks. The world hates us, yes. And why does it hate us? Because we are no longer of the world. Now, that poses a problem immediately. Why? We're still here. 
We're on the planet. We have to deal with the people. Turn with me to John 17. We're not there yet, but I want you to see this. I love this text in John 17. I want you to know this has been one of the most practical helps in my Christian life. John chapter 17, verses 14 to 19. I have given him your word, and the world, watch this, has hated them. You can't avoid that. If you're avoiding it, something's wrong. Because, why? They are not of the world. You see, he chose us out of the world, so we're not of the world, but watch this. Even as I am not of the world. We talked about loving one another as Christ has loved us. Did Christ walk in this world? Yes. Did he have contact with unbelievers? Yes. There's one of the problems. We sometimes think that we can't even touch an unbeliever. We can't have contact. That's not what it's talking about. Not at all. I encourage you to have contact with your unsaved neighbors. I encourage you to live among the unsaved. In fact, because time's escaping me a little bit, I need, want you to realize that the Lord himself said, if you're going to avoid that type of person, you need to get out of this world. You can't get away from that. And he uses it regarding separation to those who profess Christ and do those things. But he's left us in the world even as he was in the world. Now watch verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. We're still here. But to watch, keep them from the evil one, or keep them from Satan and all his powers and everything else. Now watch, verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them, set them apart. We still live here. We've been called out of that thinking. We've been called out of that life. We've been called to Christ if we're a believer. We're no longer to think like they think, but we're still here. How are we to be set apart? Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Well, where do I find that? Your word is truth. Do you understand why this pulpit, the Sunday school teachers, this entire ministry, our school emphasizes to you? We even heard it in the graduation speeches this week, how you need to be reading the word of God. Why? How else are you going to know the truth? You know what the world's going to say to you? Throw the book away. It's an antique. That's a summarization, but that's what they're going to tell you. Are you crazy? You're reading a book that's been written by dead people that was written thousands of years ago? What's the matter with you with all the technology we got today? Keep your iPods, your iTouches, keep all of that equipment, all that you want. I would rather have this. Oh, it comes in different forms and technology. I understand that because this is the truth. This is what will help us to live in this world as God wants us to live. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. We are set apart. We've been called out of the world in the sense that we still live here, but we've been called away from that thinking. We've been called away from that life. Why do you want to go back to it? By the way, first century church had the same problem. 
Corinthian church, the book of Hebrews, book of Colossians, every single one of the books you go to. The tendency, see, we're not sinless. Yes, in the eyes of Christ, we've been given the righteousness of God because we've been called out and saved. Yes, we belong to him and our sins are forgiven. Yes, there is no condemnation to the believer. But we're still living here and we still have our sin nature. Wait till we get to tonight's message in the book of Revelation. Even with Satan being bound for a thousand years, what happens to those that are living while Christ is reigning on the earth? They rebel because our hearts are wicked. So what do we need to do? We need to be set apart by the truth. And how does that happen? We need to change our thinking. We need to change our love. We need to change our activity. Go to some familiar verses to you. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. You see, in John chapter 15, it says the world will hate you. Why? Because we've been chosen. It hates election. The world hates it. I'll comment on that in a second. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Remember we saw that in 1 Corinthians 6? What is it? A living sacrifice. You say you want to die for Christ? Here's your challenge. Live for him. Acceptable to God. See, don't be looking to have the world love you. Be acceptable to God. That's your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. But, contrast to that, I don't want to be conformed. What do I got to do? Transformed by what? The renewing of your thinking. Your mind. So that you may prove what is the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, perfect. That's to God. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, I won't turn there. You know it well. We're not to love the things of the world. What's it talking about? Is it talking about technology? Not at all. Is it talking about your dress? Not at all. It's talking about the philosophy and the thinking. And that's why when you confront the philosophy and the thinking of the unsaved world with truth, they hate you. But our thinking is to be renewed by the word of God. We are not to be involved, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, in the things of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read that one to you. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4, it says this. I'm in 2 Peter, excuse me a minute. 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 4, it says this. In all this, they are surprised that, they, that you do not run with them, talking about the world, into the same excesses and dissipation, and they malign you. Why? You don't run with them. You don't follow what they follow. You don't do what they do. Why are so many Christians, here's the question I ask myself, and I challenge you to ask yourself if you want to be honest before God. Why are you so concerned with looking like, acting like, and being accepted by those who don't love God? We ought to be concerned more about those who honor God and what God thinks. What God thinks. We are not to love the world, but we are left here in it. We are told in James chapter 4, verse 4, that if you love the world, listen carefully, you are the enemy of God. 
And I already explained what that means. If you're trying to run with those who are unsaved, I'm not saying be a light to them. You what? That's part of the, what we ought to do. We're to be a light to them. But you want to adapt their thinking. And you want to be afraid that you don't offend them. You know, it's amazing. You know, here's a quick lesson in the New Testament scriptures. Too many Christians are afraid of offending the unsaved. Do you know what the scriptures teach? You should be afraid of offending a brother. You should offend the world before you would offend a brother. That's what 1 Corinthians is all about. They were so afraid of offending the world. He said, you better be careful that you're not offending a brother. We get it all mixed up. Why does the world hate you? By the way, does it mean that we're not to love the things when it says don't love the world? God expects us to love creation. Creation declares the, the glory and the power of God. You're to love it. You're to love people. Love technology. There's nothing wrong with technology. But you're not to adapt the thinking of the unsaved philosophies of the world directed by Satan. And it comes back, if you go back with me to John chapter 15 for just a moment. He says that we are hated because we've been chosen out of the world. And we're not of the world. The world hates election. Human beings do not like to hear that you cannot save yourself. Religion hates it. But the reality is, Scripture says, I've chosen you. You didn't choose me. Plain and simple. Now, I know the exhortations of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm helping you to see why the world would hate you. You go out to somebody and saying you can't save yourself when they're trying to do everything religiously, they will hate you for it. The world hates grace. The world hates depending upon God. It is Romans chapter 1, right? They suppress truth and they make themselves wise. That's the way the world operates. That is not the way the Christian is to operate. The world hates Christian. Where do you think the persecution is? Where do you think they laugh? Who do you think they mock? Who do you think they don't want to listen to? Christians. Why? They stand for the truth. And the world will reject. The world will hate you. It will hate the discipline of the Christian. It will hate the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ because it hated him also. Listen, while they ought to hate us, I need to conclude on this positive note because time's run away. We ought to be a light to the world. That's Philippians chapter 2. We ought to let our light shine in this world. They ought to see us as different. They will hate us, but while God's working, while we are abiding in Christ, while we are loving one another, and while we realize the world will hate us, we ought to shine as lights so God will work through those situations. He'll do the drawing. I was out with Pastor Ko this week talking about the Korean church. I was asking him how it was going, and we spent some time together and talked a little bit. We had a great discussion, a number of things, and uh, he basically said it's a, he's a small church and not very significant. I said, oh, yes, you are. I said, you don't worry about numbers. Our society is worried about numbers, and it's talking about pilot churches. It's talking about satellite churches. It's talking about numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers. 
Leave the numbers with God. He's the one that gives the increase. God is concerned with a church that's got 10 people in it or four people in it if they're doing what he wants them to do. We ought to shine on this earth. You see, he left us here. This is where we shine. This is where we represent Christ. This is where we have a ministry in this world. But we're not to love the thinking. We're not to love that. How are we to love the people of this world? By giving them the message of salvation. That was asked by me with the newspaper. The newspaper said to me, do you think we ought to warn them and, and give them panic? I said, no, I think we ought to give them hope. She said, what do you mean? I think we ought to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they need to hear. We ought to be in the world, but we are not to let the world be in us. Want me repeat that? We ought to be in this world, but don't let the world get into us with its thinking, with its philosophies. And where does it happen? It happens in advertising. It happens in movies. It happens in TV. It happens in the internet. It happens in government when they set policies. It happens by the changing of the world. And all of a sudden, we get adapted to its thinking. And we can't use certain terminology because someone's going to be faced with it. And they're going to be hurt by it. I, you, need, you need to be careful. You don't use the word sin anymore, Pastor Dan. That's obsolete. Not in my Bible. That's what they need to hear because it is through that conviction that Jesus Christ will open up their understanding. So what are we to do in this world? I have to summarize this morning. Realize it's going to hate you. Why? Because while we were that way, we've been pulled out of it. And we're no longer part of it. We're in it, but we're no longer part of it. Don't try to get it back into your life. Live a life for Christ. Stay abiding in him. Love the brethren. Give the gospel to the lost. And live by the truth of the word of God. That will set you apart like Christ was set apart. Through that, remember this. While the world hated Jesus Christ, isn't it true that some were one to Christ? Of course. Eleven of his disciples, for example. Isn't it true that while we were that way, that some in this audience now know Christ because he called you out? How did he do it? By the preaching of the word? by the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the conviction of sin, and he's still going to continue to do that. So the world would hate you, but shine as a light and let God do the work. But expect the world to hate you if you're doing what you should be doing. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that we've only begun to touch this concept of the world hating us. But first of all, it hates us because we're not of the world, because you've chosen us out of the world. And Father, as we've observed the communion today, oftentimes people get confused with salvation, but help us to take a step back. There is no reason for you to love us. There was no reason for you to call us out of the world. But Father, in your marvelous grace, you have. And I thank you that many here know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And help us to be ever thankful for it.
Help us to be concerned about pleasing you in all that we do, not in pleasing the world. For, Father, one day we will be accountable to you. We will stand before you and have to give an account for that which we have done even since salvation. And while some of us may only have a couple of talents and others be given many, we know that it's important that we use what you've given us for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. Help us as we shine in this world to be a light so that you can work through us to draw others to Christ. Strengthen us and encourage us to abide in you, to love the brethren, and to realize that the world will hate us and that we should not love the world. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.